Believe it or not, we're only about seven weeks away, so I want to make sure I let everybody know this year's spring breakaway is a little sooner than what we've had in years past, and so we want to make sure you understand that so that you don't wait to register. And don't wait for papers because we don't have papers. It's all online, so you can register. We can post the link. Uh, actually, John, I'll ask Jonathan, can you post that link tonight again? Can you post the link on the Excel page, on the, or, or is it on the bio? It's on the bio, so click on the bio. Click on the bio, you'll see the link there for registration. Super simple to walk you through the process. Your parents have a little e-signature portion they need to sign off on. We really want to encourage you to be there. As a matter of fact, uh, your leadership team here, along with me, we're going to be going away ourselves this weekend to that same place uh, to get along with God on our own and to make sure that God speaks to us and makes us better leaders and helps us be better servants. And we want to get poured into too because we don't want to pour into you just what comes from us. We want to give you what God has given us. And so we believe that there's huge impact in these moments and this opportunity when you get away from everything that's going on in life, when you get away from your homes and from your schools and from all the drama that's in this world. And listen, it ain't the most luxurious place in the world, but to me, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world because it's where I get to see you have some genuinely powerful encounters with God. And so I really, really want to encourage you to be there. Make sure that you sign up. And the last thing, just real quick, uh, in case you missed the announcement on Sunday, going forward here at Excel, um, we're no longer requiring masks unless uh, something changes. So you're welcome to wear it if you still feel comfortable. If you're more comfortable wearing a mask, absolutely do what you feel good with. If you don't want to, you don't have to. We're not going to put a gun to your head or do anything. I mean, we never did. But just so you know, all right? So I just want to make sure I let that be clear. So uh, we've kind of been in this series that I didn't plan to be a series, but kind of ended up being a series uh, called Red Flags. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about red flags of relationships, things that you need to look out for, warning signs that you need to be mindful of. And then last week we talked about red flags in friendships. Again, things that you need to watch out for, things that you need to be mindful of when it comes to people in your inner circle. And I would encourage you, if for whatever reason you missed those messages, go back on our YouTube, on our Facebook, on Instagram. There's some links there. Go ahead and check those out. Those are good, good messages that are going to help you, I believe, in your life. And uh, today we just wanted to do uh, one more red flag. Is that cool with y'all? Are we good with doing one more red flag? Hey, today I want to talk about, if you want to title this, this one's Red Flags with Christians. Red Flags in regard to Christians. Listen, this one might be hard to swallow because some of y'all might be in the room. So listen, if you feel like you being, you know, called out, it ain't me. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. You got to take it up with him. All right, but here's the truth. Let's be honest. Right? Can we be just very genuine and, and real? How many know not every person in a church is a Christian? Right? Just like not every person in school is educated. <laughs> just because you're in the building doesn't mean you are participating. We got plenty of friends. I had, I don't know if they still do this. Anybody who goes to Lane here? Anybody still go to Lane? Yeah, no. All right. Do they still rank you? Do they tell you what number you are? So when I went to school, they had your entire class ranked. So my class was like 1,200 students, like in my grade. So you would know, like, hey, you are ranked 800 out of 1,200 students, like based on your grades and your scores and stuff like that, which I'm glad they got rid of. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> but I knew the dude who was ranked 1,200, and he was an idiot. Like, but he got into a good school. My point is, just because you are in a place doesn't make you anything, right? I can be in a hospital with a white coat. Don't make me a doctor. 
just means I'm there. And I want you to understand that you can, you're going to go to church, whether it's this church or any other church, because what I'm talking about is the church, the church of God. You're going to walk in and people are at different stages of their life. So number one, some people are just figuring things out. All right. Give us some slack. But reality is there's a group of people that have been there a long time. You know, super seniors like, you know, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Again, if they still do this. Y'all ever have that senior who keeps coming back to school like two or three years after they graduated and it's really creepy and they keep trying to hook up with freshmen? And you're like, oh my God, dude, like you're a predator. Go home. Like this is weird. Like you were cool five years ago. Not anymore. Like move along, okay? And so the reality is there are people in church who have been here long enough to know God's truth, to live God's truth, to mature in that truth, but for whatever reason are refusing to, and now they can easily become a stumbling block rather than a building block in your relationship with God. And so here's the reality. We're not necessarily going to kick people out. I mean, I almost got to. Uh, But what you need to understand is it's your responsibility to understand what some of those red flags are to avoid either getting tripped up yourself or even getting hurt. Because there's a lot of people who have been hurt by people in church. And here's what it usually ends up happening. Someone in church hurts you. And now you walk away from church and God altogether. God never did anything. But because someone who represented God in your eyes did something, now you don't want anything to do with God. And so this is where we have to be careful. This is why I think it's important to have some of these red flags. And this is nothing new in the Bible as the, the, the... the church of God began to grow in the book of Acts when Jesus obviously uh, conquered death and was raised from the dead three days later. The Holy Spirit came and empowered the disciples to go out and build the church and make disciples. And the church began to grow. And overnight, it went from 170 to 3,000. And there's this huge explosion. And now these disciples are going all over the world. And they're starting to preach the gospel and build up churches in places like Ephesus and Corinth and all over Asia Minor. And you're starting to see this blow up. Well, guess what? When they're planting these churches... They got to follow up because a lot of these churches got drama going on. They got messed up situations that are, you know, some of their cultural habits have creeped in. Some of their sinful habits have creeped in. So periodically, these disciples would write back or they would check in with these churches. And one of those men was the Apostle Paul. And listen to what he says when he's checking in with the church in Corinth. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. He says, when I wrote to you before... I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So there's another letter he wrote to the Corinth church. We don't have it. We don't have record of it, but he makes mention of it. And he says, hey, listen, remember last time there was a situation I called you about. He had to deal with a lot of some messed up sexual situations. Like there was one case where there was a dude in church who was sleeping with his mother-in-law and everybody knew and nobody called it out. And so Paul's like, yo, we're not going to put up with that stuff. That's messed up. We're going to call that out. And so Paul is doing that. But listen, he makes a little caveat. And I want you to make sure you pay attention to this. He goes, uh, I wrote to you in my first letter not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheap people or worship idols. You should have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So let me pause again because there's a differentiation he's making here. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you is in regard to people who claim to be believers, Christians. 
And he's not even talking about like people who just check Christian off on a census. Because we got a lot of people in this world that do that now. That you ask them, hey, what religion? I'm Catholic, I'm Christian. And they're not practicing. They don't really believe. It's just what they say. He's talking about people who, who are letting other people know, no, I'm the real deal. I follow Jesus Christ. I am a servant of God. I am a Christian. I am a believer. Which in these days, that's what he's dealing with. So he's saying, listen, I'm not talking about people in this world. Don't judge people in this world. Like, they, they didn't sign up for this. I remember we had this event one time where we asked our students to invite all their friends. And a bunch of people showed up. And it was really cool. And one of the leaders came up to me kind of weird. Like, Pastor Joy, Pastor Joy, there's this, there's this girl who's just like sitting on her boyfriend's lap. It's like all up on them. I was like, are they new? He's like, yeah, leave them alone. Like if they like start taking clothes off, let me know. I'll get a water hose or something. But like, just, just leave them alone. Are you serious? Yeah. It's not like art. Like if y'all did that, I'd call you out, right? If you've been here for a minute, I, I feel like we got that relationship. Like, hey, listen, stop being all Dr. Susia and let's move forward here. But in this situation, it's like they're new. They don't know any better. They didn't sign up for this. And so that's what, what Paul is saying here. He's like, listen, don't sit here judging the world. And honestly, can we be real? That's what a lot of Christians are doing. A lot of Christians like pointing fingers at people who never signed up for Christianity. And they're calling them out. And they're saying, well, you're this and you're that and you're filthy. And you're... Listen, they don't even know the God you're talking about, let alone hold to some standard. And so Paul's making it clear. Listen, stop pointing, pointing fingers at people in the world. They didn't sign up for this. They're not a part of that. But... Because here's what we like to do, right? We're like, well, you can't judge me, and only God can judge me. And I'm like, uh-huh, he's going to judge you straight to hell, boy. You keep messing around like that. <laughs> but that's not true, that only God can judge you. No, we're, we're called to hold each other accountable. So listen to what he says. He says, listen, I wasn't talking about unbelievers, right? If, if we were going to judge, if you were going to avoid unbelievers, you'd have to leave this world. Because there is no way you can live in this world and avoid or sin in the world. You're going to be in it. What he says is, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. So he's making a difference here, okay? Now, this is something I want to make sure I'm clear with you. I'm not talking about people in this world who don't have a relationship with God. I'm talking about the people in this room who call themselves Christians, who have been here for a minute, who know better, who know God's truth, and choose to indulge in sin, as the scriptures say. And let me say this. There's a difference between indulging in sin and messing up. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all do things that we regret. And, and that's fine. God gives us grace and mercy to be able to get back up and move forward. When he's talking about indulging, it's, it's when you say, I know this is wrong. I know this is against God, but I don't care. I am still going to do this. I am still going to act this way. I am accepting it and I'm indulging in it and it's going to be a part of me. And he's saying, when that's your attitude, when there's people like that who are like walking around saying, hey, listen, I know it's wrong to punch y'all in the mouth, but I'm going to punch you in the mouth anyways. And it's like, well, you are no longer welcome here, sir. <laughs> right? And so this is that thing. This is where we have to understand the difference. Say, so I'm not talking about those of us in this room who messed up. Maybe, you know, you struggle with sexual sin and, and you've been doing really well and you messed up and you looked at some sites you shouldn't have looked at, but you, you repented and you said, oh, I don't want to do that again. And then maybe you go three, four days and, and you mess up again, but there's progress. Like, that's different, okay? So I don't want you to feel, uh, you know, condemned because you make mistakes, but I do want you to feel convicted if you think you can justify your mistakes just because you want to do it. 
And so we got to be careful with people like that, even in church. Did you know that uh, the highest risk of infection is when you're in the hospital, not when you get out of the hospital? If you have surgery, if you have any kind of procedure, part of why they want to get you out of the hospital so fast is because it's the greatest risk of infection in the hospital. Why? Because hospitals are full of sick people. And so infection is just floating around everywhere. Well, listen, the church is our spiritual hospital for the wounded of this world. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are infected with sin and are struggling with it. And there are some that have chosen not to heal. And now they are becoming a cancer spiritually to everybody else in the room. So let me give you a few red flags that he talks about here in 1 Corinthians that I think we need to take a few minutes to really focus in on. If you're taking notes, the first red flag is sexual sin. Sexual sin. Now this one, this is interesting, okay? Because you got to understand, a lot of times we think, we imagine what Paul's time was like and we're like, well, he's not dealing with what we're dealing with. That's right, I think he dealt with worse. Uh, they did some outlandish stuff, stuff that I can't talk to you about because I'm going to get calls from parents being like, I can't believe you told my kid that. It's in the Bible. Go read it. If you want to know all the dirty secrets, read your Bible. Then you figure out all the stuff I'm not supposed to tell you. That's my trick to get you to read the Bible. But listen, I ain't even going to lie. There are sometimes recently I'll read the Bible and I will giggle like I'm 40. I'm like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> and then I'll hit up Sal like, Sal, did you see this verse? <laughs> and then we have our little Bible study. <laughs> right? And so... When, when Paul is talking about sexual sin, it's actually a topic he has to address over and over again. Many of the disciples have to address this topic over and over again because sexual sin was rampant in those days as it is in these days. And we can't hide the fact that sexual sin is rampant. And listen, sex in and of itself is not a sin, right? Sexual sin is different from sex. God created sex and he created it to be good, but he created it within context to be good. Just like a fire is good within context. Fire to cook your food, good. Fire going through your house, really, really bad. Right? Fire out of control is dangerous and deadly. Sex out of control is dangerous and deadly. That's when it becomes sexual sin. When it begins to be a part of who you are and, and it absorbs you in a way that's unhealthy and even worse, ungodly. And so he's saying, listen, when you indulge with somebody who... who or have a relationship with somebody who's indulged in sexual sin. Well, what does that look like? Well, listen, if it's somebody who's already slept around with half the youth group, maybe you shouldn't have a relationship with them. Oh, well, we need to show them grace. Yeah, but you don't need to show them your body. Give them grace only. Like, move along. Have, you should probably have nothing to do with that. Matter of fact, you should. If there's anybody, like, tell P. Joey real quick, because I'll have, I'll have that conversation. But listen, I'm not going to lie, It's happened. I've been in youth ministry longer. I have heard some insane stories, and I have seen some insane stories. Why? Because people walk in, and listen, I ain't going to lie. I used to get my friends to come to church because of girls. I'm like, yo, there's some beautiful girls at my church. Y'all should come to church. I was like, just hold it like I was fishing with y'all. Like, listen, and I tell the girls, it's for the gospel, man. I'm just trying to get them to Jesus, right? But the truth is, some people show up just to get you. Because, you know, honestly, some of the most forbidden fruit is the most delicious, when they feel like, you know, oh, you're not this, you're not, you're not like every other kind of girl, you're not like every other kind of guy, you become more enticing. And that can easily seep into the youth ministry. And it can easily be in the situation where a brother or sister or even, you know, guy to guy, girl to girl, people that you trusted to walk with you spiritually. And then all of a sudden, you're just texting about the Bible and you get this random text like, pics. And now it just took a turn. And guess what? Maybe you send something. 
And then later on, you feel shame or you feel awkward about it and you got this whole type of emotion. And now it's really hard to worship knowing somebody in this room has naked pictures of you. Why? Because you've allowed sexual sin to creep into the church. And now the church has been made awkward and compromised for you. And it can be easily destructive. It can be easily damaging. And so there's a lot. I mean, I could do a whole sermon on just this topic. But I want you to listen to what Romans says about it. Romans chapter 13, verse 13 through 14 says it like this. Let us, believers, behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Here's some little tips with that that I think will help, okay? For me, just as a teenager at Excel, I had a rule that I would not even date a girl who was a new believer. Why? Because I didn't want to compromise her relationship with God with the relationship with me. Because I knew if I get into a relationship with this, and let's, let's be honest, right? Some of us have been in youth group a long time. When that new boy shows up, whoo, because you've been looking at all these other boys for a few years. And you're like, you know, we need fresh blood. And that boy walks in, and you're like, yes, that one. Thank you, Jesus. Acting like he brought him for you. And listen, if he did, give that brother time to mature. Because undercooked chicken will make you sick. But you give it enough time, it's delicious. Delicious. I just had this new chicken today. It was hot. It was spicy. It was was good. Right? Because things done in the right time and in the right way end up right. And so you got to be careful. If you see somebody that you find predatorial, that you feel like is just in here trying to hook up, trying to get with girls, trying to get with guys, that their only obsession is to try to get in a relationship, that all they could talk about is boys and only focus in the boys, I'd be careful to listen to them calling themselves Christians because they might be acting like they love Jesus, but really they're in love with their flesh. You hear me? So you got red flag number one, sexual sin. Red flag number two, greed. Greed. You know, greed, I think we almost always associate with money. But greed can be a lot more than money. We all know greedy people in our lives, right? People who take advantage of you, people who try to get over on you, people who are selfish in nature. That's really what greed is. Greed is a selfishness. Greed is, is I take, 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 and I don't want to give at all. So greed are those people in church, whether it's in youth group or in the life of the church, that they just suck life out of you, but they don't put no life into you, okay? You want to be careful with greedy people, people who only ever think of themselves. Because the problem is, if you're a generous person, then you get sucked dry by a greedy person. If you're a generous person, you can easily get taken advantage of by a greedy person. And there are greedy people, there are people who show up at church. Listen, I get this all the time, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you. Uh, There's this thing that's been happening over the last few years where a lot of pastors were getting side gigs as being health coaches. And, and, And they would like have like these programs and they would have this whole like, you know, meal packages and you buy this thing and that was a pyramid scheme. Um, but they were getting some money, man. They were getting a lot of money. And you know how I know about them? All of a sudden, I get all these pastors friending me and I'm like, oh, y'all want to be my friend. And then I look at the bio and I'm like, health coach. Man, you just saw a fat pastor and you thought we could be friends. You're just trying to sell me something. And here's where it got bad. Right? Because on my birthday, all these health coaches were messaging me. Hey, Joey, happy birthday. Da, da. I'm like, I ain't never talked to you. Thank you, though. <laughs> oh, man, what are you doing for your birthday? None of your business? We ain't even friends, bro. Like, 
We Facebook spies at best. We just we look at each other's pages and we don't acknowledge that we know each other. But what happened is I called up my buddy and I'm like, hey, I know you used to do that health coach thing. I know you don't do it anymore. Can I ask you something? Is there like part of the playbook to call people on their birthdays? And he's like, yeah, bro. I go, so that's why they hit me up? He's like, yeah, unfortunately, it's just what they do. And I was so grieved, you know, because I'm like, bro, you're supposed to represent the Lord. Not try to get over on me by selling me jewelry or by selling me, you know. And again, listen, if that's your job and if you, that's good. Just do it with integrity. Don't do it with greed. Don't do it in such a way where you're trying to take advantage of people. I used to sell knives because I was 18 and didn't know what anything better. I used to sell knives. And there were times where I felt like I was going to take advantage of people. And I realized, you know what, I just don't want to do this. Because I feel like I'm taking advantage. I'm, I'm selling $400 knives to somebody who can't buy food. What you going to cut? <laughs> so I was like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> I was really good at selling knives. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Remember, there's more kinds of greed than money. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's a subtle way of greed. Greed is when you you want more than what you need. Greed is when you want more than what you need. Greed is when, hey, I don't want to participate in Speed the Life because I ain't got no money. You got some fresh kicks on. You got a new car. It look like you've been spending some money. You've been eating out a lot. No, no, don't say you don't have money. You don't have money to give. You only have money to spend. That's greed. Because here's what I've discovered. I want to be surrounded by the generous. I love, I have some greatly, amazingly generous friends. I love fighting with people over the check. Like, we get good at it. We do the whole, hey, I got to go to the bathroom, and then we go to the register, and we pay for it. Like, they didn't even bring us our food, and we paid for it already. Because the other person's going to get up, and they're going to try to say move, and then they show up, they're like, oh, your friend already paid for it. They're like, oh, I can't believe it. Like, ah, ha, ha, ha. You got to pay the next one. Ah, ha, ha. But I love the generous. Why? Because their generosity makes me want to be generous. And now, instead of taking from each other, we're taking care of each other. You see the difference? Surround yourself with someone who takes care of you, not takes you. Someone who gives, not pulls. Red flag number three. Say red flags. Idol worshipers or people who worship idols. Now, again, when you read that in the Bible, your immediate thought is like someone kneeling down to some wooden carved figures of some weird angelic little things like you think that's what an idol is, all right? Or, or you think like Indiana Jones with a little gold statue and somebody just worshiping some made-up creature. But idol worship is so much more than just figurines. Idol worship is anything you worship above and beyond the Lord. Anything that you hold up beyond God or more than God, anything that gets your attention more than God, that gets your passion more than God. Sports can be an idol. Okay, If you know all the stats of the bulls, but you don't know the difference between an Old Testament and a New Testament, you got an idol in your hands. Listen, gaming can be an idol. When you are grinding and you got more points in the game system so you can get arbitrary cards, so that you can get more points to get more arbitrary cards, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus because I don't have time to read the Bible. Well, you know why? Because you don't worship God, you worship your idol. That got you. Listen, anything that gets more of you than God does is your idol. 
And again, we don't put up with that with the Lord, right? Like if the Lord didn't pay attention to you, didn't listen to you, didn't love you, didn't acknowledge you, we'd get mad. And yet we feel like God should just put up with it because, hey, listen, I got the new game. I'm going to be honest with you. There was a season I just kept realizing, like, I just keep buying the same game every year. It's like four games. It's like FIFA, Madden, 2K, mostly because I can't play shooter games. It just makes me vomit. But I just play these sport games. And I'm like, why am I spending money on buying a brand new game with the same thing? I just didn't want to do it anymore. Why? Because it was becoming an idol to me. It was taking up my time. And it was time that I thought I didn't have to lose. Ask yourself, what gets more attention than God? And it can be, again, just frivolous things. Scrolling through your phone can be an idol. People that you look at, you know, when you feel all insecure about how you look because you're constantly staring at other people that are photoshopped on Instagram and TikTok. It's because you lifted them up as an idol. This is what the standard is. And now because you don't feel like you live up to the standard, you feel less than. This is why idol worshiping is so dangerous because it infects the psyche of a person and it causes you to be uh, decepted or deceived into believing that God doesn't care about you, only the thing that you worship cares about you. Listen, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 11 says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slave to those who by nature are not gods. Okay, so before you knew God, you worshiped something. Everybody worshiped something. So before you knew God, you were a slave to your education or you were a slave to your career path or you were a slave to your hobby. You were a slave to something else. But now that you know God or rather now that you are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Listen, if I've been spending all these years trying to teach you the Bible and all of a sudden you're getting into crystals and mystification and like, oh, you know, if you just manifest it, it's going to happen. That's stupid. That has nothing to do with what God has told you, but it's what everyone in TikTok and culture is saying. Oh, you know, well, hey, if you're putting out this certain kind of vibe now and frequency and I'm like, shut up, I'm not a radio. I am created in the image of God. I am so much higher and greater than any of those things. And so my thing is, listen, I can't be led by idol worship. And you hear it from Christians. Look at how many celebrity Christians or guys that are, you know, they kind of mixed in some of that new age thinking into what the Bible is saying. And now it's like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm putting out good vibes to you. And I'm just trying to get on the same frequency and level. It's just not my month because my aura is off. I'm like, you just mixed like 17 religions, bro. Like, you don't even understand what you're saying anymore. Like, get off of that and get back on focus. Stop worshiping idols and get back to worshiping God, the one who can actually save you, care for you, and guide you. And I love what the scripture said. In Galatians, he's almost upset. Guys, I'm even wondering, did I waste my time? Was just pointless if you keep going back. Y'all ever had that friend who keeps going back to their ex? First time you give him advice, second time you give him advice, third time, like, you know what, I don't even care anymore. I don't even care. Oh, I don't know why he treats me like this. I don't know why she's doing that. And you're like, I don't know why you keep going back. You're stupid. And yet, we found this new relationship in Christ that's greater than anything we've ever known. And we find ourselves drifting back to the old idols because they're comfortable, because they're familiar, or maybe just because we're hedging our bets. Maybe one of these things is right. I'm sorry. 
My wife was never going to put up with a half-hearted husband. And I would never put up with a half-hearted wife. All of me for all of you. That's what we made a deal on. And when it comes to God, he did the same thing. I will give all of me to have all of you. If you're talking about red flags, say red flags. Red flag number four, abuse. Abusive people. Now let me just, again, because there's ideas and thoughts we have when we think about abusive people. We think about abusive people and we think about physical abuse. We think about sexual abuse. And those are true, and I'll get to that in a moment. But abuse can also be subtle. Abuse can be manipulation. Can be someone just getting you to do things that you're uncomfortable doing, trying to manipulate you to act in a way that you don't feel comfortable acting, trying to manipulate you to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing. And you start to think, well, but, but we go to church together and then they're from my church. They, they wouldn't want to do me harm. They're still people. They could want to do you harm. Listen, a pastor could want to do you harm, can manipulate you, can abuse you, can hurt you. Listen, by the grace of God, if if everything goes the way we think, I may not be the youth pastor anymore. We might bring somebody else in. But whether it's me, another person, another person, it does not matter the title that they hold because I've known too many situations where a pastor put in a position, took advantage of a student, hurt a student physically, sexually, and morally, and damaged that kid's life forever. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. What I'm saying is don't ever put yourself in a position where you're gullible enough to allow anybody to get that close to you. We love you, we care for you, but we're people. And that's why, listen, I've never had a temptation like that in my life, but I don't put myself in a situation where that could even be a possibility. Because I don't want that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to mess with that. Because I don't want to ever be abusive to anybody. I take the responsibility that God has given me seriously, the care for people that God has given me seriously. And you need to take that care as well, because here's what I've understood a lot of times. Nobody asks to be abused, and it's never going to be your fault if you're abused. But there are ways to prevent it. There are ways to get around. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17 says this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you won that person back. So if someone has done something abusive to you or hurtful to you, Maybe they didn't mean it intentionally. Bring it to that person. Deal with it. Say, hey, what you did was wrong or you hurt me or how you talked to me, whatever. Check it right then and there. Okay? Because a lot of times we allow things to creep up and they become abusive over time. And so when you get a sense of that, man, check that real quick. I don't care if they're your pastor. I don't care if they're you know, your teacher. They don't have a right to touch you. They don't have a right to hurt you. They don't have a right to manipulate you. I don't care if they've been placed in that authority. God is giving you authority to speak up. And so when those things happen, you don't got to be bogus. You don't got to be mean. You don't got to be rude. You bring it to the brother in love. Bring it to your sister in love and say, listen, the way that happened, that hurt me. And and I want to make sure that we get common ground so that we don't end up doing that again. And then it goes back. But if you're unsuccessful... Like, if they don't want to listen to you, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everyone you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So now I tried to deal with this issue with somebody in church with another believer. It didn't work out. They didn't want to listen to me. They were ignoring me. So I'm going to bring two or three other people in the mix. Not to gossip, not to hurt, but to be witnesses and say, no, Joey really tried to make right the situation. And then it says, uh, if that person still refuses to listen... Take your case to the church, right? Bring it before the leadership. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. 
pagans and tax collectors were people who, when he spoke to this group, they understood what he meant. They're people that you don't want to have any kind of relationship with. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if somebody oversteps their bounds, if somebody is abusive, correct them in love. Try to correct them over a number of times. Do it personally. Bring some people with you. Bring it before the church. Do everything you can to help this person get right. Because what I've learned in my life oftentimes is that hurt people hurt people. People who have been sexually abused are far more likely to sexually abuse somebody else. And so it's not always predatorial. Sometimes it's just repeated victimlessness. It's, it's just something that keeps circulating and recycling in it. And so at the same time, we don't want to immediately kick somebody out. We want to try to help them. We want to try to walk them through it. But when they refuse, when they're just like, no, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. At that point, then you got to go. And listen, in, in my time, 13 years, I really only ever kicked out two people that I had to say, hey, listen, you can no longer be here. And it's because over and over again, they refused counsel. They refused to listen. They indulged in what they wanted to do. And I said, now I got to be careful because now it's not just about you. It's about you starting to hurt everyone else in this room. And I, as a pastor, have a responsibility to the rest of the sheep in the flock, not just you. Because how many know, if you got cancer in your left foot and it's getting ready to spread and the only answer is cutting off your left foot, I love you, but I also love the rest of me. So I got to cut that thing off. And it's not our first answer, as you see, how many times did they try to correct it over and over again? But when someone refuses, now it's not really a decision I made, it's a decision you made. And now I have to hold you to that. Are you hearing me? Got two more here. Red flag number five. Say red flags. Well, this is an interesting one. A drunkard. We don't really use that word too much. It'd be nice, right? We're like, you drunkard. <laughs> An alcoholic, somebody who drinks too much. Okay. Now, this is a touchy subject in churches because there are a lot of churches now that are just like, yeah, man, let's just drink. Like, it's not a sin. And here's the truth. Technically speaking, drinking alcohol in and of itself, not a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. But here's the way I look at it. If the end of the street is dangerous and it's a one-way street, why would I want to go down that street at all? If, if what's on the other side of that is not good for me, if what's on the other side of that is destructive, is painful, is hurtful, has done damage throughout centuries, why would I want to go down that road? And you hear a lot of people, man, especially people who don't know their Bible, well, you know, Jesus drunk wine. You also walk on water, homie. I don't see you at Lake Michigan trying things out. Like, y'all love the Jesus drunk wine thing. You don't try to raise the dead. You don't try to do anything else that Jesus did. Jesus never got married. <laughs> you want to keep being like Jesus? Let's do it all then, bro. <laughs> you can be a little drunk, lonely person in the corner. But the Bible does make a very clear distinction that if you're drunk, and I would take it further because the idea of drunkenness is you've indulged in the substance that has taken control of you. Any kind of substance abuse, I think, is catered into that. So you can put weed in that. You can put vaping in that. You can put whatever it is. Anything that is causing to take control over you, that is damaging to your physical body, that is hurtful to other people in that way, any kind of substance abuse, you need to be careful with that. Now, listen, how does that work within the church? Man, there's a lot of people who come in this door, and they're, they're all about that. I have confiscated much weed in my day. I probably could have made a lot of money on the resale value. 
Okay, I have done that, and I've done that and said, listen, no problem with me. Like, if we were going on a trip, and I would say, hey, listen, if you got any drugs on you, if you give it to me now, no problem, no issues, we don't call nobody, it's our little secret. We throw that away, we move on. And there's been a few times where people have given it to me. One time, they're like, can I get it back later? I was like, no, you're not getting it back later. But that was a really cool case I had, and I was like, it was, I'm not going to lie, that was a nice little good secret compartment, but it's gone now. Okay, matter of fact, low-key, I remember years ago, I had a student raise money for Speed the Light, a lot of money. And then next year sent me a message. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm so sorry. That money I, I raised for Speed the Light, uh, I use it on, on weed. And I got high on it. I was like, I didn't even know. But I felt real bad, so I'm going to go give that money back. I was like, okay, good for you. Because, it, listen, that's you. That's your thing. You're going to have to answer to that. But my point is, look at what it caused her to do. That temptation, that idea, that thought of, I need this. That she would take money that people gave her for the purposes of God, and smoked it up. Listen, you want to be careful because there's a whole world that's telling you, hey, listen, it's not a sin. Just have a little bit of this, have a little bit of that. Y'all know in my whole life, I've never had alcohol. Because one, obviously, I'm not good at moderation already. You know what I'm saying? So it's just not something I wanted to try. But number two, you don't miss what you don't have. I don't know what that is. I don't care. If I want something, I have nice, cool, blue Gatorade. You know, I'm just like... I don't need all the other stuff. Now, blue Gatorade slaps stuff, bro. Cool breeze? Cool breeze is good. Listen, oh, Glacier. Oh, stop it. I'm getting a little chappy here. Hold on. Listen, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's been a few Excel students over the years that have been caught in that life after saying yes to Jesus. And there are a number of you, once you graduate out of Excel or once you graduate out of your youth ministry, that it's because of the love or the temptation to indulge in that lifestyle, especially when you get to 21 and all of a sudden it's, it's legal to be who you weren't for the last 21 years. There's a lot of people who have walked away from their relationship with God in order to indulge in that lifestyle. Be careful, people, because if you just let that creep in, don't be surprised if a few years down the line, you're doing things you never thought you would be doing, acting in ways you never thought you would be acting. I could tell you, and if you guys want, we could talk about it later when it's just one-on-one, but I have seen horror stories after horror stories of students in our own ministries who have been raped, who have been abused, who have abused others over the influence of alcohol, who have had accidents that have caused some serious damage, and I've had many of friends, one friend in particular, he was always drinking. And they kind of celebrated it like it was a point of pride of how much he could drink. And he would always say, Joey, one day I'm going to get you drunk, man. And I would always say, and one day I'm going to get you saved, bro. And he would always say, man, I'm going to get you drunk, bro. I'm gonna, one day I'm going to get you drunk. And that one day never came because right after our senior year, he got drunk, ran into a median right by our school, and he died. And I'm just thinking, for what? When I look back on his life, his drinking was a lot of masking for other things he was going through. And that's really, at the end of the day, what substance abuse is. It's a way to temporarily remove yourself from situations that are actually being compounded 
by the time you get back to it after the high is gone or after the drunkenness fades. It's a temporary solution. And we don't have to live with temporary solutions when we have a permanent God. A God who is willing to take all that and say, no, no, you don't need that because you got me. That's why the Bible says don't get drunk on wine. Instead, get drunk on the spirit. Okay, and that, we kind of giggle sometimes at that verse. It's like, it doesn't mean like be like a weird Holy Spirit thing, like where you're just falling on the floor acting drunk. It's saying, hey, listen, when you're going through everything you're going through, don't fill yourself up with wine or the things of this world, the indulgence and substance abuse that only ever leaves you broken, bruised, and hung over the next day. Instead, be full of the Spirit of God that will reach every aspect of your life that is hurting, broken, and bruised and will leave you in a different situation the next day. Amen? All right, red flag number six. Say red flags. Cheats people. People who cheat. Now, we're not just talking about tests, although some of you are like, oh, God. I ain't even going to lie. I probably wouldn't have graduated if I didn't cheat. Although I, I'll, be, I'll be real with y'all. Like, I would cheat. I cheated a lot. It was mostly out of laziness. It was never out of dumb. Because there were times where I would be, like, cheating on somebody's test, and I'd be like, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> And we get our test back, like, how did you get a higher score than me? Because you're stupid, bro. I don't know why you put D. That was obviously B. Okay? But listen, it's, it's not necessarily talking about that. Cheating is talking about people who take advantage of you. Right? People who cheat you, who lie and manipulate and, and get you to do things you're not supposed to do and, and get you to act in ways you're not supposed to act people who cheat you out of things that are rightfully yours, people who scheme and, and deceit and all that stuff where it's like, man, all they want to do is steal from you. That's what a cheater is. It's someone you put trust in who abuses that trust. In the Bible, one of the biggest cheaters they had were tax collectors. We talked about that earlier when he says have nothing to do with them. Well, the reason they had nothing to do with tax collectors is because the Jewish people at this time they were under Roman rule. And what the Romans would often do is they would raise up uh, people from within those governments. Remember, the, the Roman Empire spread all across Europe. And so they would be in these different lands and they would raise up governors from among those certain people to help govern the land because they spoke the language and had in with the people. And they would also raise up tax collectors who would go around those communities and collect tax on behalf of the Roman Empire. Now, that would be easy if that's all it was. But what these tax collectors did is they cheated people. The tax would be like $4, and they would say it's $14. And so the people knew, number one, you're working with our oppressors. You're working with the people who we're slaves to, basically. And on top of that, you're cheating me. You're supposed to be my own people, and you're cheating me. That's what happens in the church. Like, we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to have a relationship with each other. And now you're cheating me? You're gossiping about me. You're lying about me. You're deceiving me. You're, you're saying things about me that are malicious. You're cheating me out of my right to be this believer and to be in this church. So listen, uh, there's this moment where Jesus, he's walking through the land and he sees this little short tax collector. And the tax collector, the Bible says he climbs up this tree just so he can get a view of Jesus. And Jesus sees him, calls him out by name. And he says, I want to go to your house. Okay, which by the way, a lot of people are like, well, Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't sin with them. He sat with them. It's a very big difference between those two things. And so he looked at him and he said, hey, man, I want to go to your house. Now, we don't know what happened in between the time where he says, I want to go to your house and he was at your house because the Bible seems like it just jumps. 
I would imagine there's some time, but even if there wasn't, it's amazing the response of this little tax collector named Zacchaeus. Listen, in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. What is he saying? I want to help people now. I don't want to hurt people. A cheater, somebody who's manipulative, somebody who's hurtful. It's somebody who wants to cause damage to you in order to lift themselves up. It's very tied in with the greed factor. A cheater. I've seen him. I've seen him over the years. I've seen him in this room. And I've done things to try to protect the other students from it. Oh, cheaters hate that, by the way. When you corner them, when you call them out on their crap, and when you don't let them do what they want to do, oh, they get squirmy, they get really mad. Or they repent. And in this case, Zacchaeus repented. And Zacchaeus understood, man, I had an opportunity to help people, and instead all I did was take advantage of them in order to lift myself up. You know, I wonder if Zacchaeus, the Bible makes a point of saying he's short. I wonder if he got hurt a lot as a, pers- as a young person. Man, I know. I made my fair share of short jokes in the day. But listen, it's not easy. Especially, can we be real? Especially as a guy. And, and I wonder if he got made fun of. I wonder if he got picked on. I wonder if he got hurt. And I wonder if all of a sudden when he became a tax collector, he thought, now's my chance to get people. Now's my chance to hurt people. Why? Because we talked about it. Hurt people hurt people. But when Zacchaeus found healing, all of a sudden he wants to heal others. Listen, if you're in this place and you've been hurt, I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying the one who healed you is greater than the one who hurt you. So you can get beyond that. You don't have to continue to go down the road you're going down. All right, if you can help me out. Now I want to go back to um, 1 Corinthians in a moment. But notice at the end, when, when Paul is going through all the list of all these people, at the end he says, have nothing to do with them. And then he goes saying, don't even eat with them. Now this is culturally very important to the time, especially to the Middle East. When you sat down at a table with somebody, when you ate with somebody, it was a big clear sign that we are now in relationship with one another. We are in communion with one another. In some cases... You were bound now to that person in relationship. In some cases, it was like a treaty. It was like, now your, your family will be my family. We'll protect each other. We'll look out for each other. It was always done at a table. It was always done at a moment over food. And I get that even to these days, right? Especially Christians, bro. We do it all over tables, baby. We eat, right? That's why this is holiness that you're watching before you. Mercy of God. But it's something powerful about sharing your food with somebody and breaking that bread together. And so what Paul is saying is this. Listen, when you get around people like this, not people that do this accidentally, but people who are intentional about staying that way and don't care what you say, don't even sit at a table with them. In other words, don't have relationship with them anymore. Now, I get it, man. That sounds harsh. But listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. You can't judge me? Absolutely I can. Scripture says so. Now listen, judging isn't 
can't believe her. Oh, look at him. His left eyebrow is so shorter than his right eyebrow. That's, that's being judgmental. But judging is, is weighing rightly what's right and what's wrong. And saying, hey, listen, in love, I need to let you know something. The way you're acting, that's not right. The way you're treating that person, the way you're talking about the person, the way you're trying to hook up with everybody in this room, the way you're, oh, everything we talked about, when you bring it to somebody in love to say, listen, I'm not saying this because I don't like you. Actually, I'm saying this because I love you. Because the truth is, I would rather have the scorn of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And there's been a lot of time, maybe you, you even in this room, maybe I've had to sit you down and say something to you that you don't like. And for that moment, you may not like me, and I love you, but I don't care if you don't like me. The same way my two-year-old doesn't always like me, but because I love her, I do what's right by her. And there are times where I have to call you up, but can I tell you something? That's not just my job. That's your job. Because they're going to take it a lot better from a friend. They're going to take it a lot better from someone on their wave, like someone who's been through what they've been through. Because listen, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would warn a brother or sister. Listen, it's not malicious. It's not like we want to kick them out because we don't want them in church. There's been a couple of occasions in Corinthians when I talked about that brother who was sleeping with somebody who is mother-in-law. You know what Paul says? He says, expel the immoral brother. Hand him over to Satan, is what the Bible says. And we're like, damn, that's messed up. That doesn't sound godly. That's not how the church should be. But no, 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 you're misunderstanding the scripture. He's saying, hand him over to Satan in hopes that he would find his salvation. Because here's the truth. If we act like they're a Christian and they don't want to be that, then we're not really doing them a service. If you don't want to live godly, then don't. Go. I'd rather you be hot or cold, the Bible says. Lukewarm makes me want to vomit. And the hope is that when they leave and they indulge in what they think they want, and we hand them over to Satan and we say, we'll find out if it's better. When they realize this isn't what I wanted, this isn't who I want to be, this isn't where I want to go, now they're ready to go back into the church and they're ready to go back into a relationship with Jesus because they understood what life is like without Jesus. I told this story a few times, but when I was about four years old, I told my mom I didn't want to live in our house anymore. Tired of my sisters, tired of everything going on in this house. This is dumb, I'm out of here. And I had read this book as a four-year-old, I was very learned. I read this book about a chicken who was tired of all the other farm animals. And so he packed his stuff and he left the house. And so I packed my little bag. I got all my stuff in there. I guarantee half of that stuff was my sister's clothes. But I didn't care. I was tired. I was frustrated. Packed my bag. And my mom walks in. What are you doing? I'm leaving. Tired of this place. Tired of your daughters. Tired of you. And she said, you leaving, huh? that's mine she grabbed my bag threw it across the bed picked me up took the clothes off my body picked me up butt naked walked me to the door opened the door threw me outside in the middle of the day closed the door locked it my little naked booty outside four years old banging her door I want to live in the house I want to live with y'all man I appreciate it home then because when you're left locked out naked and alone guess what sounds real good a family 
appreciate the things that God is doing for you. God to call you out. And in extreme cases, we might even have to put you out. But I don't doubt that at any moment, I would never even think that at any moment, my mom didn't love me. She just understood, I got to check this now. Because he's only four. And if I don't check this now when he's 14, he might actually run away. in this room 
all those who are trying so desperately to be who you called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would be building blocks to one another and not stumbling blocks. That we would be encouragers and not discouragers. That we would love each other and not just talk about each other. Father, I pray that this would be a safe place. A place where we can bring our friends and our loved ones and they would encounter you and people who love you and love them. Because we know if we can do that, then we will see the fruit of this ministry go in a way we never thought or imagined. So let it begin in us and let it be through us. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said, come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise? Amen. Hey, listen, uh, just want to remind you of a couple things. No small groups tomorrow. Like I said, the leaders are going to be going on our retreat. Can I just ask you something? Would you please, please, if just even if it's for five minutes over this weekend, would you take some time and pray and intercede for your leadership? Would you ask God to speak to their lives, to bring wholeness, to make them everything God called them to be? You need to fight in prayer for your leaders. You need to love them in that way. And if they mean anything to you, then I know you'll take that time to pray for them. And then number two, the speaker who we got coming out to minister to us over the weekend is actually going to be preaching Sunday. He's an absolute beast. Good friend of mine, someone I respect wholeheartedly. You want to be here on Sunday. So make sure you bring your family. Make sure you bring your friends and watch what God's going to do. God bless you. We love you. I will see you on Sunday.